folks, and welcome welcome back to NTI's Japan Real Estate Podcast. I'm your host, Zivna Kajimam, again, and this podcast is brought to you, among others, by Native Shark, which is an online platform for learning Japanese. And what Native Shark do is they make learning Japanese really, really simple. You log in, you click a button that says study now, and the platform then shows you exactly what you need to learn next based on your previous progress. Now, again, this is simple, but the way it's designed means that students who use Native Shark once a day for four to five months can complete the equivalent of over two years of university study. And this is not just um, them patting themselves on the back. Now that Native Shark's been in business for over a year, the results are in. So this is exactly what people are saying. Uh, just looking at a couple of posts in their community forums. And the student community, by the way, is one of the best things about the platform. So one person's writing, most productive year I've had learning Japanese. And then another one says, I've started learning over a year ago with all of these other platforms. And what I learned there is only a fraction of what I've learned on Native Shark in just three months. And then yet another one goes, in my mind, my study timeline only started with Native Shark because that's when I really started learning consistently and on and on. So yet the proofs in the pudding, it's definitely the best online course out there. And since you've heard about it here on the podcast, you also get an extra little bonus. If you sign up for their free trial uh, using the URL nativeshark.com forward slash NTI, and we'll link to it in this episode's show notes. So that's native without an E. So N-A-T-I-V shark, all one word, dot com forward slash N-T-I. You use that link to sign up and you'll get a double length free trial. So two weeks free instead of just the one. No need to put in your credit card, anything of that sort. You can just sign up, give it a shot, and chances are at the end of these two weeks, you'll already be far ahead of wherever you are with your Japanese at the moment, whether you're just starting out or you're already in knee deep. Give it a shot, nativeshark.com forward slash NTI. Okay, so right before we get into today's episode, quick and exciting update about our business networking and board slash card games event this coming December 10 to 12. That's Friday afternoon through the Sunday evening. Now, as I've mentioned, we've been looking for a gaming industry speaker, which was proving to be a bit of a challenging task, but I'm happy to say that we've managed to secure one. So his name is Mario Long. He's from Tokyo and he's uh, worked in numerous industries from real estate to sports marketing, and mostly as a business development director. But in 2020, as the pandemic hit, he's incorporated his own company, Sakura Phoenix, and their mission is to show kids how to express their creativity and make their dreams come true by operating their own businesses. And the first thing he's done, together with artist David Mazzucci, was to create, successfully market, and crowdfund a board game. It's called Golden Age of Pirates. It's a phenomenal strategy board game with unique characters and gameplay mechanics. And it's set in a fantasy world that's also going to be featured in an upcoming book series and eventually an anime adaptation. So Mario is going to be our second guest speaker, and he's going to teach us all about how to create, fund, and market board games. So it should be fascinating stuff. So the event is just about six weeks away now, and I've noticed that flight prices are slowly creeping upwards. Uh, I've only looked at Tokyo to Fukuoka and back, and that's gone up from just under 13,000 uh, yen to now just under 15,000 yen. So still pretty cheap, but if you haven't booked your tickets yet, this is probably a very good time to do that. 
and we do hope to see you all there with us. Would be great to catch up with you all, meet you face to face, get to talk business, investments, strategy, and games, and of course, to just have an awesome time. Okay, so for today's episode, this is a bit embarrassing for me to say, but I've recently been asked to mentor which is a really big and awkward word for me. So let's just call it to um, consult or give some advice um, to not one, but two young business people, both of them from the US, both of them really awesome and intelligent women, and both of them interested in real estate in Japan. So I have awkwardly agreed, but in exchange for uh, permission to record our sessions, just because I think there are probably many of you out there who are in similar points in your lives to these two ladies. And you might be able to use this kind of introductory level advice and tips and so forth. So here's my first session with the fabulous Haley Agra, who's a military brat. So obviously particularly interested in the potential of leasing out properties to military personnel. But she also had a lot of questions in our introductory session about uh, our business, my personal life journey, uh, real estate investment in Japan in general. So really good stuff. And as you'll be able to see towards the end of the recording, she's also had some great tips for me because she's pretty cluey about uh, social media marketing and in particular video like uh, YouTube and TikTok. So hopefully a real win-win situation for both of us. So enjoy this pretty basic, but also weirdly specific conversation. And I'll see you again on the other side. Cool. So I'm. I gotta say that I'm. I'm not sure what I'm like. Mentor is supposed to do. I've never been approached to be anyone's mentor before. Like I've been approached to give advice, but I'm not sure how mentorship is different to that. Sorry. Honestly, I just looked up some YouTube videos, and they said to ask questions, and the mentee is responsible for asking the questions, unless right. the mentee done it before. So. I'm just gonna go with it. Go with the okay. Question. Well, wait, wait. Before you start, can, can you tell me about yourself? Like, why, why, what exactly you're interested in, and why, and and what what's the uh, what's the angle that you've got on this? Like, what, are you into real estate or business or what? I'm into real estate, and mostly because I was in debt during my call my first year of college, and I started learning about personal finance to try to get myself out of that debt. I was about three thousand dollars in consumer debt, so high interest credit card debt. And I just started researching based on bigger pockets. And then they described how real estate is a great opportunity to not only get high returns, but to acquire assets, which is where wealth begins. And then while I moved from Colorado State to here in Japan, it took a break from college and then I dove into real estate and then I got interested in real estate in Japan. And that's where Nippon Tradings International came up. And that's where I found you. Okay. So that's around 2019. And ever since then, I, I got a job on base. I hated it. I don't like the hierarchy of the military, but I love the military community. And I realized so that... So is that how you ended up in Japan? Via the military? Yes, um, my father works... Well, he, he's a retired Marine, so, and then he got a civilian job on a base in Gotemba in Shizuoka. Yeah. Yeah. So I realized that there's a huge deficit in, in people willing to rent out to military families 
mm. around Mutemba and Tizuoka. So I wanted to get more information of how I could invest and take advantage of the lack of communication for the locals and the houses and stuff. Gotcha. Okay. That, that gives me a good thing. Well, I, I can delve into a few of the things you've already mentioned now, but why don't you start with your questions? We'll take it from there. Sure. So I know that you have an amazing business. You said that you managed, you, your company manage, manages 200 properties or more. And then yep. how many do you own? Um, we own, uh, well, we sold a few of them to buy our home. Um, so when we started, we had, when we were still renting, we had about 12 uh, investment properties, small little condos. And then we sold about five or maybe four of them, between four and six, I can't remember, um, to buy the um, office that we've got now and the house that we live in. Very nice. Um, and then we sort of, we, we kind of like put a little bit of money aside and then whenever a really attractive deal uh, comes on, instead of like floating it to customers, we might grab it for ourselves kind of thing. But obviously we can't buy everything that we see. So yeah. Right. We expand slowly. Uh, you and Chicago, you guys are both partners in your company. And you speak four languages, Japanese, English, Hebrew, and Arabic. A little bit of Arabic. I wouldn't call it uh, really speaking, but yeah. <laughs> That's impressive. And Chicago also speaks uh, a number of languages. How did you guys meet, if you don't mind me asking? And um, we met, well, well, we met virtually first online. Um, I was looking to get into some kind of business in Japan for all kinds of reasons. And she was looking, she was working for a few companies and she gained a lot of international experience. So she wanted to um, have her own international business and deal with the foreign clientele or foreign partners and so forth. So we kind of connected on that. And then we met for the first time physically in Thailand when we were both on a kind of holiday. Yeah. And then, yeah, and then we kind of like beyond the business, we also got involved personally. And then she came to live with me in Australia for a couple of years. And then we moved to Japan. So that was about 10 years ago now. Wow. Okay. So you're from Australia. I was born and bred in Israel. And then I moved to Australia in my late 20s. Okay. So my Japanese, half Japanese, half New Zealander boyfriend, he, he grew up in New Zealand. So cool. Australia is definitely a place I want to visit. And don't um, tell him that, like, don't, don't mix Australia and New Zealand in the same sentence when you speak to him, though. He might not be very uh, happy with that. Yeah, I had no idea that they were so different until I started very dating. Yeah. yeah, they're so different. Um, so my hopes to learn um, during the time that we spend together is just a broader perspective and possibly some guidance on how I, as a foreign individual who doesn't have Japanese nationality could invest in Japanese real estate because I could get married and go through that kind of I would that make it would definitely make it easier um, but, just for loans yeah for loans well if you're buying in cash it doesn't really matter if you're a national or not right and I don't I mean it is very feasible to buy in cash in Japan it's a very affordable market right so if I found a loan in America, and I use that cash, that would probably be feasible. 
but I think yeah, except that usually other countries are not going to let you borrow money under mortgage terms for purchases mm -hmm. overseas. So you might be able to get a personal loan or like a business credit line or a business loan that's not really related to a property. But then the terms are not going to be nearly as attractive as a mortgage in most cases. Right. right. That's why I'm thinking of. So have you ever had a partnership where someone is in one country and someone's in Japan and they go through the Japanese loan together and then they have a contract between the, each other to de to divide the um, asset equally? Um, so we, we've got some cases where people have a business that they've set up in Japan. So one partner would be living overseas. The other one would be a Japanese national or a permanent resident. Yeah. And then you can borrow under that company name. We haven't had that with individual partnerships, but you can then borrow under that company name as long as the Japanese partner is going to be co-signatory to the loan. Okay. Um, but in the cases where we've been privy to that, that's usually because they actually both wanted to purchase the product. That was their business plan to purchase property together under the company name. So it wasn't like the Japanese uh, party doing a kind of favor to the foreign party and, and cementing it with a contract. It was an actual business venture. Do you think there would be some complications, one versus the other? Um, just a personal relationship kind of thing, like depending if they're on the same page as far as their business goals go. And um, I mean... I don't know. It's it's possible if you really get along. It's possible that you would be able to perhaps do that with just a personal contract between you. Yeah. Um, but then you'd really want to cover all of your bases, and probably I would probably do it with a lawyer, not just between me and him, kind of thing. Right. Right. Yeah. That's what I was thinking. It's like a prenup, but for assets. Kind of. Yeah. And how did you get? How did you have this idea of real estate? Was it your first choice? Um, well, that's when, when I first started looking at any kind of business interest in Japan, real estate was the only thing that I was really experienced with. I mean, I've, I've run a couple of small companies just buying and selling stuff, but as far as investment, I had, I had some funds that I wanted to actually invest, um, in a more passive kind of way, not actually be running a business. Okay. And then real estate was the only thing that I was really experienced with, um, coming from Australia. So I sort of started looking into that. And then it was pretty easy to see what the attraction of Japan, like what the advantages and disadvantages of real estate in Japan as opposed to other countries was. Yeah. Um, so I just went with that. Yeah. Could you describe a few of those pros and cons of Japanese real estate versus other countries? Sure. So like, for example, what you were talking about that you've been learning on uh, you mentioned bigger pockets, but there are, you know, heaps of resources out there for people in, interested in real estate. So one of the things that you've mentioned, and, and that's a pretty common uh, a pretty common factor and when you talk about property overseas, is that there's a, an underlying asset and the asset has some value. And that's one of the cons of Japan is that's not necessarily going to be the case. Like assets here, um, they might retain their values or they might, you know, um, have slight increases, but it's, it's definitely not a guarantee that the asset will be gaining in value. Yeah. And oftentimes, depending on the type of asset and where it's located and how old the structure is, but often they could also be losing value by the time you resell them. Yeah. So that's one kind of um, 
not a myth, but it's one kind of preconception that people should probably just evaluate before they decide to invest here. Um, And the pros, I guess, um, it's a very affordable market. So aside from Tokyo and central Osaka, um, which are sort of like on par with other international locations, the rest of the country is pretty cheap, right? So you can still buy um, houses and condo units for as low as 20, 30, 40,000 US, which is not usually the case in the rest of the developed world. So your same sort of budget that would maybe get you one property overseas can get you five or six or seven of them here. Right. Right. So that gives you obviously more diversity. It also gives you a lot more headaches because you're managing six or seven or eight tenants, but it does give you diversity and hedging in the sense that um, you can spread them out geographically, socioeconomically. One tenant moves out, you've still got most of the income stream going as opposed to if you've got a single asset, you're completely dependent on whatever happens with that particular asset, with that particular tenant, right? And you live in Fukuoka, but you've helped people buy properties nationwide in Japan. Yes, that's true. Okay. Do you, um, have you had any experience in the Gotemba or Shizuoka area? Um, we have a few properties that we've helped people purchase in Shizuoka city and in Hamamatsu city. Mm-hmm. Um, but not beyond that, no. Usually, because most of our customers are into um, sort of safe and stable long-term tenancy leases, they're not, because they're remote and they're mostly, I mean, I don't like the term passive because it's never really passive. I mean, there's decisions to be made and factors to be considered, but they like to be hands-off as much as they can. Um, so for that purpose, they try to focus in places where they know that it's going to be relatively easy to find a new tenant when one moves out. Mm-hmm. Um, and that sort of rules out all of the areas that are not at least stable population-wise, uh, hopefully maybe growing, um, places that got one or two or three industries to speak of. So in Shizuoka Prefecture, that's pretty much Shizuoka. And it used to be Hamamatsu, but now Hamamatsu is also kind of declining. Yes, yeah. Yeah. So it's in Shizuoka Prefecture, it's mostly just Shizuoka City these days. Yeah. Okay, that makes sense. I know that there's a very large opportunity around um, Gotemba. Have you been to the the racetrack there? The, no, no, I haven't. It's really nice. And I'm not super into cars, but my boyfriend is. He's an exterior car designer. Yeah. But um, around there, there's a small Marine Corps base, and they're onboarding more families and more civilian contractors. Yeah. And they nowhere to stay so they're paying really high amounts for rent um what we call cola you probably talk to military people about the cost of living um expenses and i i want to take advantage of that because i could buy a house and rent out to my parents and that would be really cool (laughs) i just need to find the right people to help me find a place but that's kind of a short-term plan isn't it like what happens when your parents are no longer renting the place do you you're going to have tenants other tenants to rent it to yes i would have other tenants um especially since the contracting jobs are about a year to three years but they always onboard another civilian and more recently we've been hiring people with families and bringing them here as well so as camp fuji gets bigger then 
the more contractors will have on base. Okay. And currently we don't have any housing offices and it would be nice to create a business to, to help the families um, be able to rent in Gotemba a lot faster. So you don't have an actual housing office, but I'm guessing you still need to comply with military housing office regulations, right? Not, we use that as guidance, but okay. there are no specific regulations or um, it doesn't have to meet code. I mean, like it should, but the, there's no regulations holding us back yet. And how long will that situation continue, do you think? I believe that it'll be another under five years before that changes. Okay, well, if we just, if we look at the fundamental, let's put the base aside for a minute and just look at the fundamentals of Gotemba Shi, Gotemba City, right? Okay. So you've got about 88,000 population there. Okay. And it's slightly on the increase, like it gained about 1,389 people in five years. So it's not like hugely grow. Actually, no, sorry. I think it might be losing population. Sorry, just give me a sec. I just uh, we just got the um, we just got the new uh, population census from twenty. It was supposed to be twenty twenty, but it was just released a few weeks ago. So I can finally see what's happening uh, since two thousand fifteen. No, you're losing population. Sorry. So you've lost one thousand three hundred eighty nine people in the last five years, which is not a huge loss, but let's call it definitely not growing. Right? Yeah. Yes. So. You're really basing your entire um, strategy there on the base, right? Yes. Because if and when for any reason the base is relocated or for some reason they establish a housing office and the properties that you've got no longer suit the code, mm -hmm. um, might be a case where you can bring them up to speed, might be a case where you're not going to be able to bring them up to speed. So you want to make sure, I'm guessing properties are pretty cheap in Gotemba City. When they want to sell it to foreigners on foreigner sites, they look a little expensive. But I feel yeah, we like don't we don't look on foreign. Let, let's not not think about that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so assuming we're going with um, some sort of Japanese um, person or entity or company who can help you just go to the normal market, so not, not catering specifically to foreigners, I'm guessing that houses would be relatively cheap in Gotemba. Um, yes. And the military, uh, the sofa allowance for rentals is pretty high. It's very high, yes. Yeah. So if you could gain all of your capital back in, say, three years, then you've got two years. Let's take a worst case scenario where in five years the base relocates or the housing office opens and you don't qualify anymore. Hmm. So let's just take a worst case scenario and assume that maybe in five years' time you're not going to be able to do the same thing anymore. So you want to cover your um, investment in maybe three years tops so that you've got at least two years of profit before your property becomes kind of useless or, yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. Because that, that's, that's the thing with Japan, like with places that are losing population and dying out, the property value can decline pretty rapidly. So we right. want to make sure that we've covered our investment before that. Right. With the declining popularity of Gotemba, I feel like America might take advantage of that and increase the size of their base, which would need more workers. Yep. I'm not sure if great on-base housing. I don't. I don't see that ever happening. So it would definitely be a necessity for them to have. Yeah. No. I mean, population, like actual people living there, not how popular it is, but how many people are actually living in the in that area. Right. Right. Yeah. So, um, 
so if if you're only catering catering to um, military personnel, and the only people that would rent in that area are military personnel because everybody else is farmers and they own their own property kind of thing, um, then you really want to make sure that even in even when the housing office is properly established, that you're still up to code. Right. So I would probably, from the get-go, I would probably aim for properties that are either already compliant with the code right. or are at least not going to be too costly to bring up to the code, right? Okay. Right. So if they're saying, for example, that the property cannot be up a flight of stairs, which I think is part of what the code says about um, other areas, um, and you end up purchasing a property that is at the top of a flight of stairs leading up from the street, there's nothing that you can do about that to bring it up to speed later, Right. Right, right. Um, but if they're talking about wider, widening a door or installing a few more electrical uh, outlets, then that's not a big deal. Right. Right. So I would probably look at what the code says just to make sure that you're not too far from it because it might be enforced at some point in the near future. Okay. Good look at you, Coda. I do believe I could rent short term towards people who are car enthusiasts because it's a really close drive to the Fuji Speedway. Um, so again, I'm not an expert on housing office codes, mm. but I think that the, the, the least that they, that they force, let's say you're a normal Japanese landlord and you're working with a normal Japanese property management company and you want to rent out to a, a military personnel. Yeah. So the lease that you'll be able to use is not your typical Japanese uh, long-term tenancy lease. It has to allow a provision in it for um, giving a few weeks notice and for the tenant to be able to move out without any penalty because they might get restationed overseas suddenly or move right. to another base or what have you. So it's not your typical uh, tenancy lease that you'd be using in Japan. Okay. And I'm not sure. The thing is... The thing is, if at any point the code is enforced, then anybody anybody that you've got there who's not on a lease that satisfies it will not get their sofa allowance for that property. So they would have to move out, right? Yeah. Yeah. So we want to make sure, again, check with whatever the normal housing office regulations would say in other bases, but make sure that your tenancy lease as well is comply, or at least as close as possible to complying. Yeah. Tenancy leases are not as big. A deal as renovation you can always just draw a new lease if, if the tenant's happy and you're happy with it right um, but just keep it in mind that's great great information so last question because you have four minutes until yes thank time. you for noticing that because i haven't <laughs> why did you decide to meet with me or why did you say okay um i, I don't know i just like i like to talk about real estate i guess um, but actually after you first sent me a message and and um and I, I mean, I like to give advice and I like to hear, I like the sound of my own voice kind of thing. But I also, um, I, I've noticed that you're um, really good with a video, uh, YouTube and TikTok and that sort of thing. And um, that's probably something that's missing from um, our social media presence. So if we could generate any sort of um, video content, because I'm good with audio and I'm good with writing like written word, but um, I have no idea what to do with video. So I, can I mean, that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and I don't mind being on video, but then I don't know what to actually like. What's a good-looking video yeah. file? What would gain traction? What were people enjoying to watch? I have no idea about that. So I know that you have the value and the content that would be really, I guess, viral content that you can create. It's just like really 
pushing it down into 30 seconds or less, which is kind of difficult, but really fun. Like you can create a story, you can create something to hook your audience and get them mm -hmm. more interested about your business. And I think within two or three months, I just started talking about how to open up a retirement account and invest in stocks for Japan. And I gained over 5,000 followers on TikTok wow. in that short time, which is insane. And so you do it I, in English too, right? Because TikTok is uh, TikTok is location centric. So the people who actually log into TikTok mostly see Japan. I know that my son just keeps watching Japanese videos. So how would people actually find you in English? Oh, they they see my location, but they understand like they have this caption generating software within TikTok, and they notice that I'm speaking English. So they push it out to people who only look at English things. Oh, so TikTok I, does that for you? Okay, I didn't yeah. know that. Ah, yeah. okay, that makes I mean, sense. Yeah. So I'd love to talk more about that, but you got to go. <laughs> yes, I do. Sorry. So are we going to do this every two weeks? Is that okay for you? Yes, absolutely yep. fine. Perfect. Thank you. So if you can drop more questions, I'll, I'll, I'll be happy to answer them next week and uh, next time we speak. Yep. Have a good day. You too. Thanks for your time. Thank you. Bye. Bye. All right. So that was the fabulous Haley Agra. And as you can see, she was a lot of fun to talk to. I'm sure we'll have more sessions to share with you in the near future. And if you two have any questions related to any of the topics that we regularly discuss here on the podcast or on the YouTube channel, don't be shy to reach out. You can come on the show and have a chat or you can just send in your questions if you're too shy to do that. And I'll always be more than happy to answer them for you. Just let's not call it mentoring. I'm still not sure I'm comfortable with that word. Let's just call it um, talking shop. And again, 10 to 12 December, we'll link to the business networking and board gaming event page in this episode's show notes. We've got our speakers lined up, our menu lined up uh, for those of you going for the full room and board experience, um, as you well should. And I'll share some info about our gourmet chef in the next few weeks. But we've also got discounted tickets if you just want to come in for a day or two with or without the meals provided. Just make sure you book soon, especially if you're coming in with one of the budget airlines, because again, it does look like ticket prices are slowly inching upwards. Now, before we go, we're also as always going to tell you and also link to our other sponsors website. That's Hiroshi Shimizu, immigration lawyer and administrative scrivener. If you're thinking about moving here on a more permanent basis, or you're already in Japan on some sort of a temporary visa, and you want to switch to a longer term or permanent one, or if you're considering setting up a local company or a branch office of a foreign company and you've got any sort of business or visa-related inquiries, or even if you just want to find out what your options are on any of these topics, feel free to contact Hiroshi Shimizu. You can find him at japanimmigrationexperts.com and he can help you set up a company, apply for any kind of visa, or just provide you with the best advice and extremely affordable consultation related to these topics. And he's already done that for many of our listeners. So feel free to reach out to him. Again, that's japanimmigrationexperts.com and you'll be well on your way. And that's it from us for today, folks. Hope you've enjoyed this episode of the Japan Real Estate Podcast. Do share it with your networks and please let us know what you think. So leave us a short rating or review on the iTunes store, on Spotify, or just drop us a line in the comment section of wherever you might have found this episode. We love hearing from you. Hope to have you with us again next time. And until then, have a great day or night ahead. Yoroshiku.